0: Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to another episode of Animals to the Max. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much for tuning in. Folks, I am so excited about today's podcast I know I say that like on usually every single podcast, but this time I am just so passionate because we are going to talk um, basically about a topic that is very controversial around the United States, especially for those of you not familiar where I live. I live in Idaho. And so uh, we're going to talk about wolves. And I am so excited to have on this guest. We have Maggie Howell from the New York Wolf Conservation Center. Maggie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much. I There's I, I, there's so many, I, look at this. This is the first time I've ever done this for a podcast guest. Look at all my notes. <laughs> oh my <God. laughs> so what happened, and I was just talking to Maggie off air, is right before this podcast, I posted on my social media feeds on Facebook, I asked what your opinions were of, on wolves, and I received tons of comments, just a firestorm of comments. And so I really would like to kind of see both sides of this debate regarding the reintroduction of wolves. And so, Maggie, can you talk a little bit about wolves, possibly their natural history?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, there are actually two different species of wolves
0: here in North
1: America, the gray wolf and the red wolf. Um, I think it's the gray wolf that probably most of your followers on social media were discussing. And Those are the ones that would be in your state of Idaho. But basically, wolves lived uh, throughout the Northern Hemisphere here on our planet for thousands of years, and in the United States, um, we had really robust populations um, here as well. Um, but really, uh, probably about a hundred years ago, without, a little over that, without fully understanding, I think, the ecological consequences, um, our country really did a really a good job of trying to rid the landscape of, of large predators. So that would include wolves, uh, coyotes, uh, bears, uh, mountain lions or cougars. And, um, and uh, really what we saw happen in the years following when we had this void of these iconic predators here in our country is uh, an impact on, on the landscape, the ecosystem. And so uh, then efforts, um, when the political stars aligned uh, and with the help of the Endangered Species Act, efforts to return wolves to their um, you know, native habitat uh, began. And uh, it started with the return actually of the red wolf um, to the Southeast of our country uh, in the state of North Carolina. Then uh, the restoration project in Yellowstone National Park and also central Idaho. And that was in 95 and 96. And then in 1998, the restoration of the Mexican gray wolf to the wild, the most critically endangered gray wolf subspecies. And that was into the Southwest of our country in New Mexico and Arizona. And since then, we've seen populations growing, uh, wolves reclaiming their natural habitat, their ancestral home in the wild, and a political firestorm
0: <laughs> to follow. So- <laughs> if it's a f- Maggie, just reading my comments on social media, like I wanted to have a drink at 11 a.m. Like it, it was, it was, it's- it was insane. And people are so passionate, and they're at each other's throats, and they're just posting these articles. And it's either I feel like where I live in Idaho. I feel like you either have people who are completely pro-wolf or more more people so who are complete against wolf, smoke a pack a day. And with this podcast, I'm trying to – and this is hard for me, of course, because I'm a huge animal person. I love wolves. I think they're one of the most majestic – creatures on our planet, North American planet. But I really going into this podcast, I wanted to go in with an open mind. I, mm-hmm. I, I would like to see both sides of this, of this argument of this debate. And so that's why I'm so happy to have you on. And I'm happy for all of you who posted your comments on social media. Thank you. Cause even the people against it, like, it's interesting to hear your thoughts. And so if we could backtrack really quick. So they were eradicated from North America in the lower 48 in the early 1900s. Why were they eradicated? Was it just livestock issues?
1: Yeah, I think it was a lot of that and thinking that, there were, you know, they're competition when you're hunting. Uh, we both have a lot in common, wolves and, and humans. And uh, when you're thinking about hunting deer or elk, um, they're going to be hunting the same prey. So um, really, that was, that was the gist behind it. And that's when we're changing a lot of the wild kind of forest land into more farmland. Uh, and that was from coast to coast. And, and getting rid of predators was a part of that plan.
0: Okay. Okay. And then, so during this podcast, I'm, I really want to debunk some myths. Okay. So let's start. So you, just to backtrack again, this is how the <laughs> podcast go, Maggie. Uh, so you said we have, so we have the gray wolf, which is what we're talking about in Idaho and the, and the Rocky mountains. We also have the red wolf, a huge, a huge thing. A misconception is that when we reintroduce wolves and for, I, I, we're going to talk, I'm going to kind of base the thoughts on Yellowstone. Cause that's the most Hot topic, like, you know, politically, and you know, where wolves have been reintroduced. That's kind of what people know about and what they're basing the facts and their opinions on. A big, big misunderstanding is people think that we reintroduced a new species of wolf, a bigger, badder, 300 pound, more aggressive wolf that is going to go after humans and they are in Idaho and you need to lock up the kids and your dogs. And is that true? Is this a complete separate species?
1: No, um, basically wolves um, in the northern rocky states like Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, they're basically the wolves, they were gone from those states except for maybe like one or two packs that were lingering across the border in and out of Montana at the time in the early 90s. But in order to jumpstart the program, they caught wolves in British Columbia and introduced them into Yellowstone and central Idaho. And, um, you know, wolves are going to vary in size. And um, I think some studies show they are a little bit bigger in British Columbia. However, when you look at the, and I'm not, I don't support, you know, hunting of wolves, um, but uh, one of the silver linings is that you have the data when you have these state-sanctioned hunts, and you see the weight of these animals. And you see, you hear the stories about these monster wolves, 200, 300 pounds, and, um, and usually you're finding wolves that for females are going to weigh as low as 70, 80 pounds. Um, and for the males that, you know, 90 through the, I don't know, the like 110, 120. Really? Um, yeah. So like even in Yellowstone, this is maybe 10 years ago, but one of the very largest wolves at that time, and I think it's pretty much stayed about, this is probably the record, was about 140 pounds. And that was a very big deal that they had this, uh, it was the alpha male or the breeding male, I think of the molly pack at the time, the molly's pack. And uh, this was a pack that um, really depended on on bison as their main prey source. So as you can imagine, these are pretty hardy wolves. Um, But that was a unique case. And uh, for the most part, if you look at the the harvest uh, data, you'll see they're not monster sizes at all.
0: And they're not, I want to put this myth, like I want to debunk this. They're not a separate species. They, they, they've always been here for thousands of years. This is the same species. Okay. Okay. So a lot of people on my social media feeds, a lot of active hunters. And once again, I am not, I am not for wolf hunting at all. Although I agree with you that it is, I guess it is important, the silver lining to look at the data, but we have a lot of hunters here and the number one, thing. And and I will see like on bumper stickers and mind you, I live out in the middle of nowhere, Maggie, <laughs> like I live in a very small town, like outside of Boise. So, but you know, there's a lot of hunters and ranchers out here. You'll see one wolf kills like a hundred elk. And this big debate is that they are decimating deer and uh, elk populations. Can you say that? I mean, are they taking out all the deer in elk?
1: No. In fact, I think one of the most controversial, um, areas has been in the Lolo uh, area of um, Idaho and, uh, and within like the Frank Church wilderness and, um, and really looking at these record high, I believe, elk numbers that were there, um, you know, maybe a decade ago prior to wolves or I guess further back, um, right when wolves were starting to get reintroduced. However, from what I, my understanding for what I'm reading about it is that this is based on um, something that had nothing to do with wolves at all, but after a wildfire. And, uh, and so wolves will bring down prey numbers, but it's not anything, they bring them down to carrying capacity at the very least, because wolves, obviously, if they eat all their prey, there's nothing for them to survive on. So there's natural cycles for prey and predators, and this is what's happened over thousands of years. Otherwise, we, they would have gotten rid of all the yelk thousands of years ago. Why wait now? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. obviously there is some competition, and in some areas there's going to be a bigger impact, whether it's a top-down impact from predators like wolves, or maybe it's going to be a bottom-up impact from wildfires and what have you. And we're in a changing world, the changing, you know, the weather is changing all the time. There's fires now. Predators are back. And I think that hunters have to just learn to compete with wolves. But there's not a devastating change by any means. And uh, really, I feel that in many states, it's been almost um, the plans to control the predator numbers, to manage their numbers so low, it almost artificially creates these elk farms just for hunting. And I would think a true sportsman would appreciate Um, the chase of course
0: of course I 100% agree and can I interrupt really quick and I want to share some data with you and and to our listeners because and this is from Idaho Fish and Game and I want to thank uh, the I guess I won't say his name I don't want people going after him but uh, I I want to thank this gentleman for sending this to me because uh, you know Fish and Game of course regulates our wildlife this and that and this is from a study in 2006 by one of their biologists okay And in this study, they looked at deer and elk populations and the impact that wolves had, okay? They said that for the elk numbers, for um, basically the number one predators of elk or who um, harvested them, excuse me, were humans at 52%, their mortality rates. Mountain lions were at 30%. Wolves were at only 7%. Malnutrition was only 7% and an unknown was 4%. Yeah, the numbers really, uh, from what people are saying, um, are kind of going against that.
1: Yeah, no, I agree, and uh, I'm glad you have that. That's great.
0: So I'm sure you've seen that beautiful video on YouTube of how <laughs> wolves changed the Yellowstone and the rivers. What yeah. are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, it's the best PSA for wolves. I could. I, I wish we did it <laughs>
0: <I> mean, <laughs> to get the like,
1: views. <laughs> yeah, because we, uh, you know, when you're talking about wolves uh, and you're talking about Yellowstone. It's hard not to talk about just the the wolf effect uh, that occurred on the landscape that followed reintroduction, um, and you know that was a perfect example of really the top down pressures uh, that predators can have on the ecosystem. Really, the the wolves then um, reducing the number of elk or deer, changing the way to behave, allowing the, the landscape to to flourish, and in this case also changing the course of some of these rivers. And it's 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 um. I'm so incredibly thankful that that video's out there, despite the fact that it gets sent to me probably 20 times a day and people ask <laughs> me. But, to um, But, you know, uh, there have been studies and there was uh, probably three years ago, I think in the New York Times, there was an editorial saying it's, you know, the data's too simplistic and this only happened in one area. And it really became a very fascinating scientific debate versus the bottom up and top down pressures on the landscape. Um, But at the end of the day, all of these scientists, whether they're, you know, disagreeing about the data and exactly the collection or exactly where it happened, um, they all agree at the end of the day, the wolves had a really positive effect on Yellowstone National Park's um, ecosystem. Um, But, you know, with everything, nothing's quite as simple as as a four minute YouTube video. Um, But I'm still I'm just so incredibly thankful that video is out there because I think it got people thinking about wolves more as ecosystem managers and not just big, bad beasts, you know, trying to hunt down pigs and little girls in red hoods.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. So really quick, pretend I'm Joe Smo and I live under underneath a rock. What was happening in the Yellowstone ecosystem? It, It was absent of wolves for, I think, over 70 years. What was going on with the absence of wolves?
1: Yeah. So basically the last wolves were killed in Yellowstone in the mid 1920s. And in their absence, um, the elk population exploded and elk are herbivores, as you know, so they like to browse on uh, vegetation. And really what um, people started seeing within the park is where they used to have these these vast forests. They had isolated tree stands. Um, Really, the vegetation was just being gnawed down and was not regenerating. And that's when people started to worry. Um, worry that, you know, wolves were, or the elk population was just, just, uh, overgrazing the entire park. And, uh, and of course that's going to have an impact of not just the, the trees and the, and the willows and what have you. It's also going to have, uh, an impact on the animals that depend on that vegetation, whether for food or habitat. So there's really a trickle down, uh, impact that this explosion of elk was having. Um, and so, uh, it was in 1995 and 96 that they brought wolves back and uh what they found was that wolves first of all did lower the number of elk um i believe uh elk pretty much forgot what wolves were uh when wolves first arrived they didn't realize they were maybe not the friendliest neighbor to the elk um (laughs) but i don't think it took them long to realize that this was a predator and something that they should be wary of um and what happened is they changed the way the elk behaved Where the elk prior to wolf reintroduction could be pretty bold, uh, fearless, just be out in the open in the landscape and eat wherever they wanted, whenever they wanted. Um, By bringing predators like wolves to the landscape, it added pressures. Um, These predation um, pressures made the elk move to different areas at different times of year or time of day. And uh, all this movement allowed them to eat a little here, eat a little there, and then move on, which allowed trees and um, plants a chance to grow back. And uh, what followed the regeneration of the landscape really, this rejuvenation of the landscape is that um, all the other animals that are impacted and needed those uh, trees and shrubs, whether food or maybe shade um, for nesting, what have you, started to flourish as well. So by bringing wolves back to Yellowstone, it touched not only the elk population, but touched beaver, uh, songbirds, uh, pronghorn, um, it actually reduced the coyote population a little bit, um, but really this even butterflies were impacted by the return of this, this keystone species. frogs uh, <laughs> yep. so, I mean, it was just kind of an amazing thing. And, and this was only in one area. And this is some of the debate uh, the scientific debate. is really the Northern range of Yellowstone. And um, by no means is the wolf a magic bullet that you can just stick in any old landscape and see this flourish, you know, occur. But in Yellowstone, in many areas where wolves are native, um, that is the type of, of, of really trickle down trophic cascade impact or effect um, that wolves uh, initiated. So it was pretty exciting. And, and, you know, I think one of the, kind of the, the boldest conservation initiatives um, that our country has done, definitely a controversial one because it is this iconic and and feared and admired um, predator. But um, but one I think that we continue to learn from every day.
0: Yes, absolutely. And you 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 said it very well. Now I have to look on the opposite side of this argument because mm-hmm. I was sent a lot of articles saying that that you know that video is fake. This and that. And so I think after my research, and I, I'm going to kind of go more towards the, the New York Times um, open ed piece. I think you're probably talking about how they said yep. the video was fake. What I took from it is they are saying that that video, it's very romanticized. Now all mm-hmm. of a sudden you have wolves and then everything's great. And I think that is their argument that there are a lot of other factors. Another interesting quote, if I can read to you on the opposite side of this, they said decades without wolves change Yellowstone too much to undo. Do you agree with that? What ha- what what's their what are the what's their point with that? So they're so they're basically against reintroduction into Yellowstone. They're saying like listen, We, we, we decimated, we took wolves out. We took them out of the whole equation that they haven't been around for 70 years. And that decades without wolves, it changed Yellowstone so much that we really just should not have messed with the system. That's what that's saying.
1: Oh, I don't agree with that at all. I think not only um, is, was it uh, a positive thing for um, ecologically for the region? Sorry, my dog. (laughs) Um, That's
0: awesome. He, he's going for the wolves
1: (laughs) or she, I think um, I think we also have a moral obligation. You know, we messed up and uh, and we killed off some really important uh, uh, players in you know, Mother Nature's puzzle and everything is connected. And I think that we had a, you know, a, a moral obligation to give it a try.
0: And wow, it actually did you know, some positive, some positive uh, stuff, which I think is great. I think so too and I think what was going on in Yellowstone was completely unnatural with the with the elk population so high. I mean that is a complete unnatural thing. I mean there's no no way to keep that population in check. It just it just completely exploded and
1: it is and it's bad for the elk themselves. I mean right now I'm sure out west um chronic wasting disease is a very hot topic. It's probably one of the more hottest topics after wolves uh, within the sporting community, because it's really an epidemic. And for people that aren't aware of what it is, it's almost um, like mad cow syndrome. But for wild ungulates, animals like elk and deer. And um, and that's one of the arguments that even um, managers, uh, wildlife managers in Montana, uh, people that normally have been a little bit more soft spoken when it's anything positive about wolves, um, have been talking about how wolves really, they might actually help out. Uh, in regards to reducing or removing animals that are sick from those wild populations. And that's because wolves are designed to, uh, to, to prey on the old, the weak, the sick, and
0: mm-hmm. they themselves
1: do not get sick um, from consuming an animal with chronic wasting disease. So even here in New York and the Northeast, uh, we're seeing chronic wasting disease Uh, It's a huge problem in the uh, upper Midwest and uh, other wolf country, you know, states like uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Um, And it's definitely been a hot, hot topic. Okay.
0: And that, and I'm happy you brought that. Another hot topic regarding feedback and wolves was the, the prey that they choose. We had some people say, listen, they go after the sick and the weak. And then you also had some people say, no, they go after the strongest, more fit individuals. Some people even, I remember I read one comment say, Oh, I ran, you know, across this eight point bowl that had been eaten by a wolf and this and that. So what do you say to people regarding that?
1: Oh, wolves are going to take what they can get. So, um, by no means I would a wolf be like, Oh, look at that handsome, healthy fellow. I'm certainly, would well, that's not the thing I would ever want to eat. Um, but really it's survival. It's not a trophy that you're gonna hang on your wall. So they don't care how many, how many points uh, are on those antlers. They just wanna eat. And, um, and in most cases, the easiest ones to eat are gonna be the ones that are um, you know, compromised in some way. And often um, from Yellowstone, what a lot of the biologists there found is that they'll be looking at elk or deer or what have you. They look perfectly normal fr- from our human perspective. And then once the wolves eat it, they uh, they really do uh, an analysis of the leftover. They get into those bones and look at the marrow. And they can look, sometimes find deficiencies that with our eyes, we really can't see. But wolves can pick those things up. And it's because they are built to survive in the wild. They have that excellent sense of smell. and They can smell things that we can't smell. And uh, I just find that absolutely fascinating. And also now with our dogs, too, when you hear of them, you know, detecting cancer or or all the things that they, I mean, it's crazy what dogs are up to. I'm just a huge fan of dogs, but, um, but yeah. And it's, it's because they came from wolves and that's one of the reasons why, you know, wolves can be really, really uh, impactful on the landscape when it comes to disease.
0: And that is one they're so intelligent and they're, They're just, I mean, they, like, they're our dogs. That's why I cannot wrap my head around. I never will be able to wrap my head around why someone would want to go and shoot a wolf. I could not imagine going next door and killing my neighbor's German shepherd. I don't know. They're just so intelligent. so I actually read this really interesting book called Beyond Words. You said by, what is it, Carlo Safina? Carl Safina, yeah. He's a New Yorker. Yorker. Yeah, a New Yorker. And Maggie, what really shocked me is I really did not understand the wolf so, you know, their, their social structure. Can you talk a little, like a little bit about that? Cause what I learned shocked me.
1: Yeah, sure. So wolves, um, you know, it was probably back in the seventies. Um, one of the most famous wolf biologists, uh, kind of one of the, the early ones named uh, Dr. Um, David Meech. He, uh, he kind of came up and started talking about the alpha male and the alpha female and, um, and I think from that, there's been a lot of interesting articles, too. You know, in our world, what alpha male or alpha female means is a lot different than what it means in the wolf world. And for that reason, we're actually pulling away from the alpha talk uh, in the wolf conservation community and really talking about families. And that's what wolf packs are. Uh, even the word pack, we're not using so much because I think people just have like pack of thieves or whatever. And really, it's just a family, just like uh, my family, your family or all those families out there. And all families are unique. And so wolf families are unique as well. But generally what the wolf family will be is just that that breeding male or the alpha male and the breeding female or the alpha female and their pups of the year. Um, and then maybe a yearling or two, or maybe pups that are older. Uh, most wolves uh, will tend to leave, or many wolves, not most, uh, but often they want to leave their family about two or later to start their own, or travel, or explore. Um, sometimes they'll have unrelated wolves as a member of their group, um, but really, it's it's really just all about family. And um, and you know, at the Wolf Conservation Center, we have. We have 30 wolves, we have lots of webcams. Most of them are very wild in behavior because we, we prepare them for release. And um, so they're not socialized or not used to seeing people at any time. But through our webcams, we get to, to watch them. And the, the public does too, they have a global audience. And um, it's amazing just to see the family dynamic. And little do these wolves know that they're like creeping into our hearts and our homes via our computers and our phones. And uh, and we're watching, you know, we're watching the the mother wolf take care of the pups. Kind of tap that that older uh, offspring from the prior year, the yearling, to maybe babysit or help out. Um, really to see these family traditions and personalities, and it's just absolutely fascinating. And that's what in Yellowstone too, um, because there's such a robust community of people and biologists watching these these wolves with their you know GPS collars and everything like daily, that they're seeing personalities and they're seeing different different um, roles for the wolves. Um, really, they, it's it's so similar to our world, um, and uh, and I think that it really it's it's one of the major things I think in this community we're trying to to express to the public is that these animals are they're, they're family oriented animals, and that's one of the problems even when it comes to um, To hunting them is that uh, you can't really manage wolves um, by the numbers. Um, Because a wolf, and this is from a very famous uh, biologist who's passed away a while ago, um, but said basically a wolf isn't a wolf unless it's part of an intact family group. And that's where you're going to see it express not only uh, its personality and traditions, um, but also an ecologically functional Um, impact, I guess, uh, uh, rather, um, on the landscape. Um, And that biologist was Gordon, Dr. Gordon Haber. Um, He he did some great work in Alaska. But um, so really, that's one of the things that we're seeing with all social animals, whether you're talking, and I'm thinking predators more than I'm a predator person. (laughs) But whether you're talking about lions or coyotes um, or, you know, African painted dogs or hyenas, you know, when you see these family groups, it's a whole different ball of wax than just a uh, solitary
0: animals. And, and I actually, I really want to point something out. And it was actually, it was so heartbreaking to read this book beyond words. Please read it. If you have not, it's just a fantastic book, but he follows one female and I, I, I forgot her name off the top of my head, but this was an alpha or lead female, like you say, And she ventured out of Yellowstone and was shot. And there was a huge trickle-down effect that I don't think people realize. You're not just killing that one trophy animal. You are killing multiple other wolves. Yeah. And I just think it's just so devastating. I don't think people look at them as these family-oriented it's just their whole family. I mean, it's just, it completely devastated that whole pack. I think the whole pack actually, or, or group, got wiped out because that one trophy animal was shot. I just, yeah. I can't even believe it.
1: And one of the, you know, in one way that's also counterintuitive to to the purpose of some of these hunts, you know, when you're talking about management of their numbers, whether it's because of conflict, um, whether they think that the elk or the conflict with cattle or what have you, is when you when you have these indiscriminate hunts in this way, and you take out say that, that female, the breeding female, um, the rest of the, the, the family might just disperse or maybe fall apart. But often what you're gonna have are just unexperienced um, animals out there that maybe don't know how to hunt as well as they should. So when you're taking out, um, let's say you, you kill a bunch of wolves and, and say the older wolves are removed and you have a bunch of yearlings on the landscape, Those are the wolves that might be more likely to to go for a cow or a sheep because that animal certainly be a lot easier to catch than a healthy wild, you know, ungulate. So, um, and this is the same thing we see here in the Northeast. Uh, We don't have wolves, um, but we do have coyotes. And they're probably just as controversial, um, but they have less fans probably than wolves. So, uh, but we see the same kind of problems where they have, you know, we hunt coyotes in every state and then we wonder why coyote population is exploding more than ever and uh and a lot of that's that same thing we're disrupting these family groups and then you create more individuals that are going to find more mates and create more coyotes so uh it's definitely an issue
0: and dan flores i don't know if you've heard of him he's the author of american serengeti Coyotes, just side side note on coyotes, are so fascinating. They are the only animal, one of the only animals, that has survived human persecution. So people don't realize this. This was a study done, where when you hear coyotes howling at night or calling at night, communicating, they are doing a population census of how many individuals there are, and they are able. This is what's the most insane fact. If you if you're going out killing coyotes the coyotes can actually what can't they control how many pups in their litter, depending on the number of coyotes in the area. So it actually, if you're killing coyotes, what the research has shown, you're literally not helping at all. You're just increasing the number of coyotes. They produce more pups. If, uh, if yeah. No, they're, it, they're, I find them the, the
1: most fascinating. I'm a wolf person, but I'm yeah. a huge coyote fan because mm-hmm. I just find it, like you said, not only do they survive human persecution, but they're flourishing. Um, and it's, they're just sticking their noses, you know, up in the air in our face, which we deserve,
0: um, because I think it's time to learn. (laughs) Right. And really quick, since we're talking about coyotes, what is the, is it the koi wolf? Is that, is that what it's called?
1: Yeah, that's a nickname. Um, it's actually become problematic right now for us, that name only because, uh, there's been a flurry of news stories on our local news and in the papers and what have you of these mutant Beasts running around like New York and they're not it's just a coyote like all the other coyotes that are out here But they're saying oh this one was spotted like no, that's it's just a coyote like all the coyotes that we have in the northeast But the eastern coyote is what is what we call them Um, or coy wolf is a nickname and um, And they're fascinating. Uh, They are different than the western coyotes. They can be a little bit bigger uh, but they're definitely by no means monstrous, you know, monster coyotes like they're made out to be by some uh, press uh, media outlets. But um, but uh, they are uh, they are hybrids, and um, there was a fascinating study coming out of Pepperdine University's at the time at the time it was Stony Brook University, uh, Javier Monzon, and he did genetic analysis of the eastern coyote and found that it's mostly western coyote. A little bit gray wolf a little bit eastern now called algonquin wolf up in ontario um and a little bit dog so it's really uh what they call canis supus, uh because it's just a big soupy <laughs> mix of all sorts of canis. is it really soupus <laughs> <laughs> that's what we call it but uh but it's um but it's cool because it just shows you that evolution is constantly happening uh, it's not like we're done. It's not like our planet's cooked. You know, uh, things are evolving under our noses all the time. And this is just another example of that. But uh, so yeah, we have our Eastern coyote here.
0: Now, weren't they also breeding with the red wolf? Is that true or false?
1: The red wolf um, right now, their number, well, the red wolf is, it's pretty devastating what's going on with red wolves, but red wolves um, are uh, a pure wolf subspecies. They probably share ancestry. Well, it depends which If you follow scientists out of LA, they say one thing, scientists out of Ontario, they say another. It's an ongoing debate. Um, But we at the Wolf Center follow the model where uh, uh, red wolves evolved with a common ancestor with the coyote, uh, but they are a distinct wolf species, uh, probably very closely related, if not at the same, perhaps they were at the same time, the same thing as the Algonquin wolf uh, or the Eastern wolf, which was thought of a while ago, just a few years ago, as a subspecies of the gray wolf, but new science says it's probably a distinct species of wolf. But okay. they're really they're complicated because they can all breed, produce viable young with one another, and coyotes and dogs. Um, so they break kind of the rules of of what a species is in some ways. Um, but most of this hybridization would not happen uh, necessarily under naturally very easily. Uh, but with red wolves and coyotes, Um, Right now, hybridization was an issue or it is an issue uh, with the recovery of the small red wolf population in North Carolina. And that's because the red wolf population is just so small that it's slim pickings um, when it comes to finding a mate. So there were some really good efforts to reduce hybridization using a uh, placeholder program with sterilizing coyotes and putting them back on the landscape. Um, But right now, that's not happening.
0: Okay. Okay. So let's go back. We're going to go back into, into a, uh, another topic. It was big news here uh, a few weeks ago in Boise. There uh, was the first wolf pack ever spotted in the Boise foothills near kind of a subdivision um, outside of our city. And people are up in arms. If you read the comments, people are like, oh my goodness, they're going to lock the kids away. They're locking grandma and grandpa, the dogs. They don't want to walk at night. Have so are, are wolves a threat towards people? Have they killed any people?
1: Um yeah, wolves have killed people. Um not very many. Um I think there are two cases in modern history of wolves having attacked and killed someone. Two. Two. One was in Alaska, uh, and both happened in the past ten years or close. Um one was in Alaska. Uh it was a wolf um, that killed, uh, I believe she was jogging, uh, a woman. And, uh, the other one was in, uh, Saskatchewan. Um, and again, someone was alone and was killed by wolves or that one is debated. Uh, some people say it was bad forensics and it was likely a bear, but just for the sake, I'll just say it's wolves for this. Um, I wasn't, you know, there, (laughs) but, uh, both tragic, obviously. Um, both cases, the wolves were, um, uh, had lost their fear of people. And, uh, one was, uh, the one in Canada, it was around a garbage dump. And so the wolves would often, uh, they would frequent the garbage dump and feed there. Um, so they became, uh, really more just, they lost that natural fear of, of humans and all things related to us. And I'm not sure what the case was in Alaska, but I believe if I remember correctly, there were reports that these wolves had been seen too close uh, for some time. And, um, and that's what happened. And although, I mean, it's never, you can never justify, you know, it's terrible if anyone's hurt or died, you know, killed for any reason. Um, but really, if you're looking at the big picture, of the statistics of how people die, um, two in the past 10 years, and both in places where they had very robust populations of wolves for forever. Um, it's, it's really not, not alarming um, when you're looking at the statistics, the, this, uh, the, the data, you know, with the, the grand scale. And mm-hmm. I mean, dogs, um, and again, I love dogs. I wanna throw them under the bus. But they kill people every year, Um, and a good number of people. I don't have that number off the top of my head. Um, You know, step ladders kill people every year. Lawnmowers kill
0: people every year. Cows that from ranchers. Cows kill
1: people every. You know, deer. Whether you're talking about uh, collision on our roadways, Um, so I mean, really, and it's terrible. I hate to even put you know talk about this because you know people died, but it's really you can't base wildlife management. Um, on a sample size, you know, unless you're looking at the big picture. And unfortunately, I think that's what happens and I'm always frightened that's gonna happen. But yeah, wolves, just like any other animal, um, we just have to alter our behavior and make sure that we are we are living responsibly um, if, if we wanna stay safe. So that means, you know, whether it's, um, you know, feeding animals, Um, definitely, I I mean, I know people, especially if they want to get that perfect picture of the fox or the wolf or what have you, um, but baiting animals in any way for those sort of things, it's really irresponsible. And that's actually one of the fears, I think, in Yellowstone too, is that you have these animals that are such an attraction. um, They're definitely used to seeing people. um, But that's why the photographers and the wolf watchers, they just have to be respectful and know not to go too close to the bison either or right? anything <laughs> because that's really dangerous and, and have a respect for nature from a distance. Um, and that way, not only are they going to stay safe, but they're also going to be making sure that the wolves and the bison and everything else stay safe as well.
0: Okay. And, and I, I want to say, I mean, aren't wolves typically skittish and shy of humans? Wouldn't they rather avoid us?
1: Yeah. So wolves, um, they're naturally elusive. So, um, but if there's food involved with anything, that's the way, you, you know, get to win, you know, the hearts of all sorts of animals. And, uh, and a lot of people are softies when it comes to feeding um, animals. I know I am, you know, but uh, I don't feed anything. But, um, you know, I, I worry, if I oh, it's so skinny. <laughs> so, but I know that's, that's not what to do. So, but that's beyond just feeding animals directly, you know, indirectly, again, like with garbage dumps. Um, or even like, you know, this is a, more of an issue out here in the Northeast, but we tell people don't feed, don't leave your dog food or whatever outside for animals, even be careful with, uh, bird fe- uh, bird feeders, um, because, uh, you know, sometimes they can attract, uh, mice too, or what have you, which can bring in the coyotes and, and raccoons and other things. So just to be aware of, of what you're putting out there and what sort of impact it might have on the wildlife.
0: One of my favorite quotes, I have a really good friend. Her name is matey and she runs animals in distress organization here in Idaho. And she has been rescuing animals here for over 40 years. So she takes in the skunks, the bats, raccoons. She rehabilitates them and puts them out. She's really entertaining, but, uh, I love this saying, she said, you know, cause people are complaining about raccoons and you know, well, she's like, listen, like you're leaving your dog food out. Like you can't have a bowl of candy out in your front yard and expect kids not to come up and you know, like it's think about it though. I think it's a good analogy. So oh, that would be
1: scary. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> okay. So let's go back to another topic. These are people of course, against wolves. There are instances where you have several elk killed, I don't know, hundreds, I don't know if that's hundreds of elk, but you have these instances where you get multiple prey animals killed at one time and hardly anything is eaten. That's yeah. a big argument. A, big, a lot of hunters and a lot of anti-wolf people will say they're wasting these animals. Look, they killed these 25, 30, 50 elk. They're not eating it. Can you explain this? Sure.
1: Um, surplus killing. And um, and a lot of uh, people that are opposed to wolves and wolf recovery say, oh, they kill for sport. They kill for the fun of it. Um, First of all, if it's coming from sport hunters, then I'm like, so. (laughs) But they don't. Um, But most of the times it's happening in areas. uh, It did happen maybe two or three years ago. I think it was in Wyoming. Uh, It was an elk feeding ground. Um, and which is also a pretty, uh, dangerous thing to have and very controversial to have these winter feeding grounds for ungulates, um, because of disease transmission mostly. Um, but, uh, I think it was like 21 or some 23 around there, um, elk were killed, um, by wolves and, and not, you know, they could not eat 23 elk, um, on the, you know, at the moment. Um, but, uh, but it did cause a quite a, quite a stir, and, um, and really when that happens, it's, it's not going to happen normally, but normally wolves will try to cache as much of that food as possible and go back, but if they're seeing animals, and again, this was a feeding ground, so the elk weren't running, this is not natural behavior, uh, it's more likely to happen with animals like sheep, which have a little bit less of that flight instinct because they're not wild, I'm talking about domestic sheep, Um, but, uh, but, um, but yeah, it's that wolves don't kill for sport. Um, and even there was a great, uh, interview with, um, uh, Doug Smith, who has, been leading the, the Yellowstone wolf project, um, for 20 years. And, uh, and he had to be interviewed on it and, and people listen to him more than they listen to a, a, a New Yorker. Uh, so it's, mm-hmm. I'm really happy that he said it cause he's a hunter and he's been out there and he's been living in the West forever. And he says, wolves do not hunt for sport. That is a fact. And, um, and so for all of those people that are opponents, they can look at, and he's, you know, he's, he's not a wolf hugger as they would put it by any means. He obviously respects wolves a lot. And I think he appreciates wolves and he works for wolves, but he's been, he is a wolf biologist and knows their behavior, especially in your region, um, inside and out, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and that's the, his response to it. And it's on video, so they should find it.
0: Absolutely. And I also want to point again to that 2006. I know some people are going to say, well, that was 2006, you know, but still coming from Idaho fishing game, maybe there's something recent, but they said out of all of the surplus killings or the cash killings they found, they said that wolves returned and actually consumed, uh, I think 80 or something percent more of that carcass. And in turn, it also benefited other animals in the ecosystem from, you know, ravens to bald eagles, golden eagles to wolverines, you know, it was really, really beneficial.
1: Yeah, and it's again they're opportunists. If they're gonna find an area and there's opportunity to do that, uh, that's not natural. You know, normally, if you have a bunch of elk, they're gonna run, <laughs> you know.
0: Okay. So, okay. Uh,
1: but if they're gonna be able to do that, they're gonna see that's gonna be able to feed them. Especially, I think always happen during the winter. Um, they know that's gonna be you know food that's gonna be kept on the landscape or hidden or cached, and something to come back to.
0: So it's almost like if I was like if it was the winter time or hard times and I saw a valley full of cheeseburgers and I knew that this was like the only time I think I would try to grab as many as I could.
1: Yeah, no, I think so. And you know, I don't think that opportunity to see a valley of cheeseburgers happens very often, but when it does, <laughs>
0: go for it. Right? Okay, so speaking about cheeseburgers, let's talk about livestock because a lot of people uh you know, of course, wolf and you know, livestock that Human and animal conflict—that's a huge reason why they were eradicated in the first place. So, I mean, are they that much of a threat to livestock? And I have some some numbers here. Uh, this is from the uh, Defenders of Wildlife, and it said that they the wolves take less than one percent of livestock, and other predators actually account uh, for more, including uh, let's see, stray dogs, coyotes, and it says bad weather and disease takes more than all wolf um livestock conflicts combined
1: yeah no definitely there's you know I think I think the biggest thing is probably calving and disease if I remember correctly okay and uh and and yeah wolves definitely get a bad rap they're a scapegoat when it comes to uh depredation on livestock and um and there are definitely measures you know I think that obviously by bringing wolves back after they disappeared that's an industry that that has potential to feel impact um, and so that's going to be an interest to that industry, you know, of course. Um, but with everything y- you evolve, you know, suddenly I'm not using, you know, my Blackberry anymore, but <laughs> it's okay because I have something else. There's you know, everything is going to change. Um, and I think that the livestock industry has to, to change along as well and realize there's a whole market. There's a market there for people that are concerned about predators concerned about public lands and the protection of our public lands and natural resources for for native species on the on the landscape. And uh, and you can charge them a premium. Um, Say, hey, this is predator friendly beef or predator friendly pork chops or whatever they're eating. And um, you're going to have people willing to put up a little extra money. Plus, there are a lot of programs to really assist. Uh, the ranching community. Uh, there have been reimbursement programs first run by Defenders of Wildlife. Um, uh, for, and it was really, I believe, only reimbursing people for full market value if it was wolf depredation. So the other animals, <laughs> they got away with for free. Um, and, uh, and also a lot of assistance programs when it comes to non-lethal proactive deterrence. And um, and I think that's one of the things when I talk about evolving, it's not just, oh, you know, throw up your hands, like, oh, we have to let some cows go, but they're just, you have to change your method, change your husbandry. Um, and sometimes change is hard, um, but if it's going to save a couple bucks in the bottom line for you, I say, go for it. And whether it's using fladry, um, which is basically flags on the fence posts or Um, range riders, which is just cowboys, basically, riding among uh,
0: the herds. What do do flags do? I'm sorry, I'm unfamiliar with that.
1: So, fladry is um, basically wolves uh, are neophobic. So, they're going to be scared of things that are new, that they're unfamiliar with. And so, what uh, these little flags, just like on fence posts, can do is they flap in the wind, and it's just going to be a little bit uh, frightening to the wolves. And it's not something that can last forever because they would see the flags for 10 years. They'd be like, Oh, okay, those are flags, mm-hmm. but it can be something to help initially. And when coupled with other um, tools, um, you know, really these non-lethal, uh, these uh, efforts can, can, can do a lot of good with guard dogs, um, you know, sheep dogs, um, things like that can do a lot of good. Um, you know, cause you know, growing up in New York, which I'm sure the people that are opposed to wolves, on your social media will love. (laughs) But um, it's, you know, a lot of people out here in the East think, you know, a a ranch or a farm is gonna have, you know, nice little fences and a silo and people on the stool milking the cow and not realize that it's a huge mega industry. And honestly, when you release these cows out into the, like um, their grazing areas for a whole season um, and then you do a count later. So it's not necessarily, like you're bringing in the cows and putting them in the barn every night, and uh, and so you are taking some risks. You're out on the uh, the the wild landscape. Quite often, it's public lands as well, so that's land that belongs to really all Americans. Um, and so I think that if you're you know doing that, and if you lose uh, an animal every once in a while to a coyote or an eagle or another predator, um, it's I consider it Mother Nature's tax. And uh, and I think that when it comes to taxes. It's not such a bad tax.
0: Mm -hmm. And I just think we need to learn how to coexist. I mean, you know, with, I mean, we have, I mean, I live out (laughs) like an hour outside. I told you in the middle of nowhere and, you know, we have tons of coyotes and foxes and, you know, we have free range chickens and I have a Turkey named Tom, he's 65 pounds with a bad heart condition, but, uh, I always no, but we put our animals in at night. We have screen underneath the bottom to prevent attack. And if we lose one, I think we lost one, maybe like, like a couple weeks ago and we, we rarely ever use one, but if, or lose one, but if a chicken stays out at night, um, Unfortunately, we'll lose one, but it's just like, that's, I mean, we're out in the middle, we're in their habitat. This is, you know, yeah. they were here before us. And that's how we look at that. That's how I look at it personally. You know, I mean, I'm just, yeah. I yeah. think,
1: that, I think it's, it's never easy losing anything. And um, I think that we all have to do our best. And obviously, you know, they're, they're, there are programs that will lethally remove wolves or or, uh, or some members of a family. Sometimes it's a targeted, sometimes it's almost like a payback just to make a rancher feel happy, like they took one of yours, you take one of theirs. Um, but definitely, that's not, again, when we're talking about the family groups and dynamics, that's not necessarily a way to solve the problem. And uh, really, coexistence and, and just proactive non-lethal deterrence um, can be really effective.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think another thing, a misconception is I don't think wolves. And once again, I know we talked about this earlier in the podcast, but you know, those bumper stickers, one, you know, kill one wolf, save a hundred elk. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, I think like I feel like the number, I, I think people think that wolves kill a lot more elk than they actually do. I think, it com- I think it's a complete misconception. I mean, cause look, look at the data. I mean, we're harvesting more than wolves combined with other animals. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? One wolf, kill one wolf, save a hundred elk?
1: Yeah, it's ridiculous is what it is. And, mm-hmm. um, and again, if it weren't, right now, if I, were, if I were an elk hunter, I would be much more concerned with disease um, because who cares how many elk you have, if you can't eat them, um, anyway, or do anything with them, if it's just going to be spreading more disease. So, mm-hmm. um, and I think a lot of that's just good for a bumper sticker, smoke a pack a day or shoot, uh, shovel, shut up all that stuff. Really fun on a, on a bumper sticker for people. To there's, know, but it's really nothing scientifically ground for that.
0: There's one at our local bar that says wolf. That's what's for dinner because there's nothing else left. Oh, <laughs> anyway yeah so what I would like to do can I go through a couple of these comments and can I get your just your opinion on them is that okay okay here we go here we go lightning round okay we have a comment they kill the only good meat we can eat Uh, there's nothing like elk and deer meat the beef chicken and pork we are eating is now beep (laughs) and pumped with stuff you would never believe
1: um Well, I'm not going to comment on what what we're eating (laughs) (laughs) or what have you. But uh, yeah, wolves, they eat wild ungulates uh, and they'll catch what they can. Normally that's going to be the young, the old, the sick. Uh, But if they're lucky enough to get the healthiest one in the herd, good for them.
0: This is actually what I like the uh, response to that comment. There's enough elk and deer for everyone. If you really believe they kill whole elk herds and leave hunters with nothing, then you need to do some research and leave your feelings out of it. Yeah. There you go, Tennille. But, you know, um, listen, Dustin, the person who commented, I'm, I'm really happy for that feedback because I really do want to see these sides. Okay, we have another comment. A lot of times wolves will just eat the guts out of the elk and deer and leave the rest to rot.
1: Um. Yeah, we talked about that. Surplus killing does not happen very often. Uh, but when it does, as you even mentioned, uh, most uh, studies show that they have returned to it. And again, most of the time it's going to be happening at these elk feeding grounds where you have a bunch of elk. Um, they're not really exhibiting natural behavior. They're standing around.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, we have one pro wolf apex predators are important part of the ecosystem. Look at what Australia has to do without the thylacine. It kind of blows my mind that people think we're uh, justified when we've bountied wolves and nearly wiped them out. That's a, that's I, I just want to do that to be positive because I'm not trying to <laughs> get no, this all.
1: And it's uh you know a lot of our these these apex predators um are some of the ones that we persecute the most whether they're on land or the sea, um you know sharks um definitely have a bad rap as well and mm. um they provided a, a disproportionate impact on the ecosystem. Uh, and that's because there are not very many of them, but they will have an impact on many other animals below them, uh, within that food web.
0: Interesting, interesting. Okay, here wolves are most likely to stay here. They need to be managed just like other wildlife species. This includes hunting and trapping to keep populations in check. All wildlife is majestic. Wolves are no more special than other wildlife. Wildlife management should be protect, or excuse me, practice and based on science, not emotion.
1: Yeah, I think uh, management though, uh, as I mentioned earlier, when it comes to social animals like wolves, you can't manage them by the numbers. So by having a quota uh, of how many of these animals you can, quote, harvest, um, doesn't necessarily accomplish that management
0: goal. And I mean, this is something new. Like we don't have hardly any data for this, correct? Like this is a new practice, like the harvesting after the reintroduction, correct?
1: Yeah, so wolves um, here in the lower 48, it wasn't until 2011 that wolves in um, Montana and Idaho lost their federal protections under the Endangered Species Act. And unfortunately, that wasn't done through the scientific process mandated by the Endangered Species Act. It was done through a legislative um, rider uh, in a must-pass budget bill. So, um, it was really a political negotiation that, uh, stripped the animals of their protection. And then these hunts ensued that same, or the following year, because it happened in December. So, uh, Wyoming followed the next year after, uh, Montana and Idaho. What year? Uh, 2011.
0: 2011. Okay. Yeah.
1: And, you know, since then in certain regions, whether it's the, uh, the Great Lakes states of Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan, or uh, Wyoming. It's been a bit of, a, a, I guess, a, a, a yo-yo in terms of the courts, uh, whether they're protected or not. Right now, wolves in the Great Lake states uh, are still protected uh, by court order. Um, in Wyoming, uh, they were protected after they lost protection and then they lost it just earlier this year. So they do have their
0: hunts, um, happening this year. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I just, yeah. And, and, and the whole thing is these animals, they don't know boundaries. Like these are invisible boundaries. And so when they get out of Yellowstone and go into Wyoming, it's just, you know, when they were protected and then now they're not, it's just a, just a really unfortunate thing. Yeah,
1: you know, and just for the people that are um, uh, in opposition of wolves, there's definitely, you know, the studies have shown there's um, not only ecological benefits to having wolves in these regions, but also economic ones. Um, And really, the amount of people that go to uh, Yellowstone, for example, which helps the greater Yellowstone region, so not just, uh, you know, people inside the park, but all the communities, including Idaho communities around the park, um, there's been a great economic boost um, to these uh, these communities because of wolves. So when it comes to Yellowstone, you know I go to Yellowstone all the time. Uh, the Wolf Center we actually lead trips out to Yellowstone. We're doing uh, two this year, and just through people wanting to see wolves alone, uh, a study at the University of Montana showed that uh, it brings a thirty-five million dollars to that community.
0: So thirty-five wolves alone
1: yeah so, um, and that was a that was a couple of years ago. um, and I know that it's gotten uh, pretty busy in Yellowstone, <laughs> especially the summer we we you know, um, and you just have people out there they're pretty much out there every day with their scopes up, their cameras going uh, in hopes of seeing wolves. so, um, you know, I think that you know, let's just say, um, you have a hundred wolves living in Yellowstone. I'm not a mathematician, but If you take 35 million and you divide it by 100. 350,000. So that's 300. And I don't think you should put a monetary figure on on, on any living thing, but let's just do this for argument's sake. So that means each wolf in Yellowstone would be worth, um, wow, $350,000. And yet in Montana, I think if you're a resident there, I think it's 20-something dollars uh, for a wolf tag. So I think, you know... You got to figure out, like, you know, don't kill the golden goose. Uh, a biologist actually said that once about wolves. And and this situation is that, you know, there's definitely value in to maybe embrace some of that. Maybe don't kill, you know, don't don't to do a do a hunting outing uh, to kill wolves, but maybe bring scopes and a camera. Um, you might you might find that business will improve. So mm-hmm. um, really, the the value of ecotourism is huge and i do uh i do encourage people that go out there to you know visit to see wolves or bears or whatever just to let the the restaurants know let the chamber of commerce know your hotel um why you're there um because if they don't know they're not gonna have that understanding so definitely let people know why you're there and also be aware of what what you're supporting when you're there uh you might not want to go to the anti-wolf hotel um, if, if you're there to see wolves. And uh, it's the power of the the dollar. Um, but I think it's a, a, a tool that everyone has some respect for.
0: I just can't help but think of Africa. You know, just to think about how, you know, they used to have, and they still do have these hunting safaris, but now the local communities have seen that, oh my goodness, photographic safaris, they bring in like over a billion dollars, probably even more just for photographic safaris. And there's a ecotourism. There's a lot of money because once you wipe the animals out, you know, once there are no more lions or once there are no more wolves, I mean, not to diss on the coyotes, but I can imagine someone traveling across the world to go and see a coyote in Yellowstone. Like I really couldn't imagine Yellowstone or the Northwest without wolves.
1: Yeah. Or bears. So it's, it's definitely the, you know, shoot with your camera. It's a, it's a great way to hunt. (laughs)
0: Awesome. Well, Maggie, thank you so much for just speaking with me, you know, on this podcast, you really helped dispel a lot of myths and I, I really, really appreciate it. And I hope for those of you listening, I hope that I did this interview fair in a, I, I, like, I really wanted to do this, like have a middle ground, Maggie, what would you say to someone who's still opposed to wolves? What are your last thoughts?
1: Um, uh, just talk to your dog. <laughs> <laughs> have a conversation with your dog about it. And maybe your dog could could look into your eyes and maybe you could see its wild ancestors. Um, just wolves are, they're a, a natural piece of, of our fabric and just try to respect everything in nature.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Maggie. And for more information, you could follow the New York Wolf Conservation on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You guys have a huge following.
1: Yeah, social media wolves. You know our wolves are the best spokespeople, and uh, and people love them. And um, we've been we've been blessed by social media. That's for sure.
0: Absolutely, and also if you are in upstate New York to visit the Wolf Conservation Center, which I need to go sometime, Maggie.
1: Yeah, definitely. Next time you're in our neck of the woods, give me a
0: holler. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Corbin. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxie.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.